You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to Episode 7 of Mission Possible, How Everyday Ordinary Christians Like You Become World Changers. In our last episode, we talked about revival, we talked about movements, we talked about this time in history that occurs every 500 years where there's a major restructuring of the church to get back to the basics of the Bible. And it's a wonderful time to be alive. And I'm just so thankful that you are eager and willing to learn and grow with... Um, Ways that we can be used by God in his powerful ways to be the church that he wants to reach the world that right now so desperately needs him. The world at one person at a time. Now, some of this may sound to you as revolutionary. And the word revolution comes from the word revolt, and we are not suggesting a revolt. Uh, Jesus did not start a revolution, and yet he did. But he didn't do it in a revolting way, <laughs> and neither should you. I sure don't want to do that. Instead, Jesus transformed people. And we Christians can get in a rut, and we need some of that transformation. I, I'm not saying you're not a believer uh, or that you're a poor believer. That's not it at all. This is about mission. It's about that next step of our faith, moving beyond that consumer mentality that many of us have just taken for granted, because that's the way most churches are, and moving beyond that to being a missionary, to be someone on a mission. So, in this episode, episode number seven, we're going to take a look at some key issues of change on the bigger scale of things. Now, don't think these all have to come first. It, it really begins with you and me, one person at a time, those people that are receptive and ready to become missionaries, to become mission-minded people. And then in time, it begins to get clear to us that some of the things and some of the ways we do church, some of the things we do at church, actually need to be changed, sometimes first in our heart and in our heads, and then in the official church that we go to. So let's begin with the first one. The first one is we need to shift our focus from y'all come to go. Go where people are. You know the Great Commission does start with the word go, not y'all come. However, early on in my career as a pastor, not knowing any better before I got mission training, coming out of seminary, all I knew was what I saw in my church when I was growing up, and that is, if you know someone that's not a Christian, invite them to church. Invite them to worship. I don't know if that ever was very effective. 
I do know it was much more effective, if at all, back 25 years ago than it is now. People who don't go to church are not going to respond to an invitation to come to church. And if they did, they would go through culture shock, not knowing what's going on in a worship service. That's how secular our nation has become. So we can't do the y'all come anymore. Come to church, check out the worship service. No matter how fancy the music, now, not how gifted the preacher, not how fancy the building, tell you what, people that are non-Christians aren't going to come to check it out. Now, there's a caveat to that. Sometimes God has allowed certain traumatic things in their life where they might actually respond to an invitation to a worship service. But the truth is, it won't do them much good. They're not ready for that. So we need to be people that are in mission, that understand that as the Father sent Jesus to us, Jesus sends us. Just as Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. The disciples got it. Paul got it. Luke got it. James got it. All those people got it in the New Testament. Wherever there's a revival, people get it. So get it. So we need to turn our church mentality, not our church, but our church mentality inside out in terms of strategy. Instead of taking people to church, bringing people to church, inviting people to church, we need to take what the church stands for, Jesus, to people. And this is where you have that, what we call relational capital. The people you know, when they have a challenge, you can share your faith in a way that's simple. And we're going to get into that here in a few moments in this episode. Another big picture change that will take place is we have to change the major focus of our churches from institutions or institutionalism to a focus on relationships. Because the platform that God uses and has always used, and you can see it throughout the New Testament, for reaching people for Jesus, that platform is a relationship, not an organization, not a structure, not a building, not a church. It all starts with relationships. So that has to be planted in our worldview, that we are on mission through relationships. And the church part comes later. The church is absolutely important. And, and, and it's essential part of God's plan. But you don't just throw people into the institution. They are going to be receptive and respond through relationships. And that change in your mentality will impact strategies away from ministry by programming toward ministry culture of networking. And that puts you in the driver's seat. Each one of us are people who represent Jesus where we work, where we go to school, in our neighborhood, among our neighbors, among our friends. Now, 
what's interesting is younger generations, people under, oh, right now maybe under 35, 40, and all the way down to kids in grade school, they fall into this networking thing pretty naturally. And what's really interesting is through the Internet <laughs> and, and through sending texts and emails, a lot of us older adults have been adapted to networking ourselves, which without any question in my mind is not to make the big high tech companies rich or to make our life easier. Sometimes I don't know that it's easier and you don't either, but at times, but I believe it's part of God's grand scheme to help us get back to networking because that's exactly the way it worked in the New Testament. So because of technology, we are becoming more like networkers, which is perfect for God's plan because that's what works. I want to talk to you about the connection between refrigerators and cell phones. I know it sounds weird, but you'll remember it, I think. I'm pretty sure. So let's go back to the first century A.D. Christianity spread like wildfire. It started, of course, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth at that time. All the way into the Roman Empire, its vast network of empire. How did it really spread, though? Did people advertise their church? Not really. There were no newspapers, no television shows, no TV evangelists, nothing like that. In fact, there were no phones. So, what happened? Well, that brings us to refrigerators. People in the first century did not have refrigerators. So, what did they have to do? They had to go to the market every day or two to get food. There's no such thing as frozen stuff. You couldn't keep it at home. The marketplace became the platform, not the, not the churches in the New Testament, not the church at Rome or the church at Galatia or the church at Ephesus. That wasn't the platform. The real platform for the spread of Christianity was the marketplace. Because that's where people gathered. They have radios or TVs. They didn't have the internet. That's where they got the news from the chatter, meeting with your neighborhood friends at the marketplace, where you went every one or two days, all the time. That's why refrigerators are important, or the lack of refrigerators were important to the first century Christians, and why Christianity grew. It's a little oversimplified, but you get the idea. Now, today, we have cell phones, so we are learning to be networkers. So the connection between refrigerators and cell phones, are the lack of refrigerators, drove people to, to network in the first century. And cell phones have driven us to network in this century. And so we have a perfect setup that God has given to us whether you like that cell phone or not. Another way of thinking about unchurched people in our world is to change your paradigm a little bit. We have 
historically, at least in the last 300 years, as Christians, followed the idea of if people would come to church and believe, and they say, yeah, I believe Jesus is a Savior. He's my Savior. I confess that. Then we baptize them, and then the trip toward the church goes into the next level. If you behave and you learn a bunch of stuff that we believe academically, then you can belong. So the paradigm was and has been believe, behave, belong, which, you know, when you're in a semi-Christian nation like America was for a long time, but is no more. But in the in the old days, yeah, that worked. Believe, behave, belong. Billy Graham preached all of his stadium preaching messages along that paradigm. It wouldn't work today. Because we're in such a secular nation, which is not Billy Graham's fault by any means. He's my hero. One of my heroes. Uh, I, I grew up watching him on television with my dad, and that meant a lot to me. It planted seeds that are still bearing fruit. But the point is, is that today in a secular nation, you can't just pull off an event and expect everybody to come, not even on Sunday morning. Less and less even for a vacation Bible school. Unless parents see it as a free babysitting service. So, today, that paradigm has to shift from believe, behave, belong, and radically shift to belong. That's the beginning. That means that relationships are the platform for unchurched people. And as we have relationships, and you have them, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, people where you work or go to school, those are your key relationships. And in that context, if they have a challenge that you have had in your life, you can share what God meant to you to get you through it. You do not need to quote Bible passages. You do not need to be an expert at theology. You do not need to preach. You just share your story about how God helped you through something similar that's happening in their lives. Your friends, relatives, neighbors, people where you work or go to school, those who are not Christians. So that's beginning with relationship, which begins with belong. And when you share that, we call that a God story. I've written a book about that. Sharing your God stories. Everybody has them, and it it's simple. You have the story in your history. You just tell the story, and it doesn't have to be smooth and rehearsed. In fact, if it is, it's phony. Just tell your story. You share your God story. That's belong. If people are interested, they're beginning a journey to believe. So it's belong then believe, and then as they believe, they become a Christian. It doesn't happen just in a 
I mean, God can do anything. It, it could happen in an instant, but it usually takes a process of nurturing. And so you're the key person to nurture those people, not some board or committee in your church and not your pastor and not a worship service, but you, because you have the relationship. Belong, believe, they become. They become more ready. And in that becoming, that's the nurture phase. And then, lastly, there's the lifelong process of behaving. And that continues the rest of your life. It's a totally different way of looking at the process of how people come into the kingdom. But it's the one that works for secularized people. So, when that happens, get ready for a worldwide revival. Let's go with another paradigm shift. Place special focus on equipping young adults in effective mission and discipleship. Now, that's a challenge because most churches don't have young adults. But if you do, they deserve your special attention to mentor them, to equip them, to train them. At Church Doctor Ministries, we have trained young adults in a 10-month training called Send North America. And they literally leave being missionaries, no matter what they do the rest of their lives. And uh, in England, they do that also, many of the churches. And that's where we got the idea. And we're so thankful for it. I have a son who went through four years of college in criminal justice. And John, my son John, uh, at the end of four years decided that criminal justice wasn't for him. Didn't know what to do with his life. I recommended he go to England and do this 10 months. He had no idea what he was getting into. And month after month, when we would connect with him on Skype, my wife and I would see our son literally spiritually transform before our very eyes. And as I share this particular episode with you, he has just finished his last class here in America in seminary. And he's going to be planting churches and starting a movement. How does that happen? Young adults are ready for a challenge, much more than maybe a lot of us who are older. Well, God is using young adults, always had. He always has used young adults. I mean, Mary and Joseph, what were they, teenagers? The disciples, maybe what, teenager to early 20s, uh, most of the apostles were young people. Well, it's nothing new. God is using young adults today as a powerful element in revival, and this is around the world. So pay attention to any young adult who shows extraordinary interest in whatever is going on around your church. The next point, outreach usually is connected to an evangelism committee or board at a church. That's the institutional approach. Or outreach is relegated to the staff of the church. That is not going to grow the church. What we need to do is have people like you 
ordinary people who are Christians who have heartburn for God's kingdom, looking for a person who is receptive. In this movement, we call it the person of peace. They're not going to argue religion. They're not going to brush you off if you share what God's done in your life. But if they show interest, they are a person of peace. And that's not anything you do. That's something God has already planted in their hearts. And they're ready. And so instead of a, a, a committee or a board or a staff, it's going to be everyday people like you just telling their God stories. Not to strangers, not, not to just knock on doors and interrupt people's dinner, nothing like that. But simply with your way of life contacts, people you already know, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, people at work or school. Those people represent your social network. The unchurched people in that network are your target objective. God's objective through you. You have more power than your pastor to share a God story of what God has done in your life because you have the relationship and the relationship is power. And by the way, you have these people listed already. You carry them around every day. They're your cell phone directory. Now, I know you got some businesses in there and some other people, but the people that you connect with, and if they show any sign of stress or challenge, and you can relate that to something in your life and share it, unrehearsed, just from your heart, genuine as you can be, that is where the power is to change lives. That's where God shows up big time. And so what this means is the whole concept of evangelism, knocking on doors, talking to strangers, is actually for those who are gifted evangelists, that's okay. They can do that. But that's only like 10% of all Christians. But you take the rest of us, including myself, we're not evangelists. We never will be. We're not going to go talk to strangers, but we're witnesses. We are going to give a witness. We're going to tell our story of what happened. You know, like a witness in court. This is what I saw. It happened to me. I was there. God did this. And you don't have to weave any theology into it. Secularized people today in a postmodern world, they don't want to hear theology. They're not ready for it. They don't want to hear a sermon. They don't want to hear a five-point outline. Back to Billy Graham, he used to say, the Bible says, and people would perk up and listen. Today, forget it. Unless they have some Christian history, it doesn't mean anything. And that would be the majority of people in the world where we live. But we can reach those people. Because when people give a testimony, what happens in court? It carries a lot of weight. That happens in life as well. So the authority today for reaching people for Jesus is not focusing on the fact that the Bible is truth. They'll get that sooner or later, but it'll be later. The real authority is the relationship and your experience with God. And if you think about it a little while, you'll discover you've got hundreds of stories that you can tell. And so 
I've written about this in the book God Stories, but I'm going to tell you what I did at my church. When I realized this fact and began teaching it and began writing the book about God Stories, I was a pastor in a small church in northeast Indiana. And I said, I decided, and I prayed about it, I said, you know, I'm going to get the people in our church to share their God stories. I'm going to start a movement within our church. I thought about it, and I thought about it, and since I think about this kind of stuff a lot, I knew what to do. I didn't tell anybody, including my wife, what I was going to do. So here's how it went, and this story is in my book about God stories. So I taught, like a lot of pastors do, I taught a Sunday morning Bible class. In that Bible class, our little church had maybe 40 people in it, which was a pretty pretty big percentage of the people in this little church. There's only like a couple hundred people in the church. So I taught this Bible class on Sunday mornings. I just decided that would be the place I'd start. So there was the first service. You know, we have an early service and a late service. And between the services, there was time for Sunday school for kids, and I taught the Sunday school class for adults. Very common, very typical. And uh, one day, I had this routine. So I'd come in to the, you know, from the first service, I'd come in after I got done shaking hands and talking to people, and we'd start the class. People would be sitting at tables, and there were some, you know, donuts or something at the back with coffee and all the usual stuff. And I'd usually come in and I'd say good morning, obviously, and then I'd take prayer requests and then we'd pray and then we'd I'd teach the class. Pretty routine. That's about what happens in most of these Bible classes. Well, I decided to change that. So I came in, I said good morning. Then I said, uh, before we take prayer requests, I'd just like to ask, would anybody like to share what God has done in your life this past week since we met here last Sunday. Just raise your hand if you'd like to share. Well, nobody raised their hand. I said, okay, let's take prayer requests. Week number two, same thing. Anybody want to share what God's done in your life since last Sunday when we met? Nobody raised their hand. Sunday number three. Anybody want to share what God's been doing in your life this last week since we met last week here? Nobody. Raise their hand. Now let me stop right here and say, after three Sundays, you have the temptation to quit. Say, this is not going to happen. But people who want to start a movement don't quit. That's something you can take to the bank. Remember that. If you want to start a movement and you're starting at ground zero, you know how rocket ships take off? They go very, very fast through the atmosphere once they get going. But how do they take the first 200 feet? Extremely slow and persistent. A lot of that energy is spent in the first 200 feet of that rocket ship. That's the way it is with any movement. You want to create movement you got to put a lot of energy into it at first. So I wouldn't give up. I just kept asking. Finally, the fourth week, little old lady in the second row raised her hand kind of sheepishly and shared something. It wasn't very smooth. It wasn't like a sermon. It wasn't spectacular. 
but it was a beginning. The next week, week five, nothing. Week six, nothing. Week seven, two people. The movement started. I want to tell you, fast forward about 10 months, and I saw evidence of people coming to our church, and I said, how did you come to our church? Well, I know so-and-so from your church. We work together, and they were sharing me a story about how God did something in their life, so I thought I'd come to the church and see what's going on here. I'm not a Christian. And from there on, we had a movement, and it was spectacular. It's that simple. If you want to read more about it, check my book about God stories. Well, a couple more things before we end this episode. It's a tough one, but I want to say it. Sooner or later, to be part of a, a renewal movement, a revival movement, you will change your form of church government, the way you make decisions. This idea of boards and committees and votes and uh, majority rules, all this top-down structure is counterintuitive to a movement. It, it roadblocks, to a significant degree, the movement of the church. So, uh, the truth is 90%, no, no, more than that, probably 99% of the churches in America, no matter what brand they are, have some secularized forms of church governance, votes, votes nominations, committees, majority rules, decision-making, boards, top-down structures, whatever. And... Uh, you're going to change that. It's not a biblical model. And we actually have a consultation that we do with churches to help them change to a biblical form of church governance. And uh, every single church we've done from whatever kind of background they have, whatever denomination or whatever, they're liberated. They just love it. They'd never go back. And it's legal in the country. But it's based on biblical approaches all this stuff we've inherited is from the business world. And the Lord's business isn't secular business. So you really can't go in a major way into the next era of renewal and revival without making some serious decisions. And you won't be able to do that with your present unbiblical form of church government that we have everywhere baptized as biblical in the world of flat organizations and teamwork like Jesus did with the disciples, a hierarchy will never attract emerging generations. This high control but low accountability that's in most churches will never work because Jesus started a movement that is low control. It's called the priesthood of all believers. Everyone is a minister. The people on staff aren't there to control and have all the answers. They're there to equip God's people to do the work of ministry, Ephesians 4, but also high accountability, speaking the truth in love, as the Bible says. On that note, we're going to stop this particular episode. I pray that God will continue to bless you as we move forward. I know this is some groundbreaking thoughts, 
for your life. I pray that God will give you the receptivity and the strength to move forward. And I pray, Lord, as our listeners listen, move not only in their minds and in their thinking, but move in their hearts. Lord, call us to a higher level of missions. And we'll give you all the glory as we see new people come to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.